welcome back to Generation Climate, the GCE podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Lenny. And in this episode, we'll be looking at the UN Declaration for the Right to a Healthy Environment. Wow, that's actually a super big topic. Um, I think it's best if we first quickly explain how this came about before going into more detail regarding recent developments. Yeah, so maybe let's start with the Human Rights Council. It's an intergovernmental body within the United Nations systems. It's made up of 47 member states that are elected by the majority of members in the General Assembly of the UN. Members of the Human Rights Council serve for a period of three years and are not immediately re-elected after serving two consecutive terms. Most importantly, the Council has the ability to discuss all thematic human rights issues and pass resolutions that address them, such as the UN Declaration for the Right to a Healthy Environment. And how exactly do they distribute the seats, Leonie? So basically, it's based on equitable geographical distribution, meaning the most seats go to the continents with the most people. Oh, okay. And in terms of how it's operated, um, the Human Rights Council holds no fewer than three regular sessions each year. Exactly. So during the 48th session of the UN Human Rights Council, which started on the 13th of September and ended on the 11th of October, 47 member states discussed some urgent human rights issues, such as the crisis in Afghanistan and climate change. The members also adopted several resolutions, one of which is the Declaration for a Right to a Healthy Environment, of which we are discussing today. Um, it was declared in Resolution 48 forward slash 13 on Friday, the 8th of October. Exactly. And another very important outcome of the 48th session was the establishment of a special rapporteur on the human rights and climate change in Resolution 48 forward slash 14. That's right. And I think both decisions are a huge step forward in terms of ensuring that the transition towards sustainable economies and societies is actually a just process. Yes, these declarations made it crystal clear how interconnected and urgent environmental degradation and human rights crises are. But before we go into more detail about why they are considered such a significant success, it might also be useful to mention which member states supported the res resolution and who put it forward. Absolutely, that's actually a super important detail. The text of the Declaration for the Right to a Healthy Environment was passed by a majority of 43 votes, which is amazing. There were no votes against it also. However, four member states, China, India, Japan, and Russia, abstained to vote. The resolution was put forward by a so-called core group, which includes Costa Rica, the Maldives, Slovenia, and Switzerland. Wow, okay, focusing on the positives, that's an overwhelming majority of votes in favor. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot that needs to be done, but it's great to see that heads of states are finally starting to recognize that human rights need to be put at the center of policies addressing the climate emergency. I agree. And the appointment of a special rapporteur is also a sign that things are moving into the right direction. Their main responsibility will be to closely cooperate with member states and provide guidance on human rights based approaches to climate mitigation policy. They will also be responsible for raising awareness of the human rights affected by climate change. Yeah, the UN Special Rapporteurs are also in charge of investigating violations 
of human rights and can intervene on behalf of individuals or groups. And this is exactly why both of these resolutions are so important. They are the first step towards ensuring that local communities and vulnerable populations have the means to defend their livelihoods, culture and health against climate change and to demand climate justice. That's right. There are already more than 100 countries that recognize a legal right to a healthy surrounding. This is not legally binding, but let's hope that the Declaration for the Right to a Healthy Environment is the last nudge that other states will need to include this in the norms and policies. So now that we have clarified the practicalities, we can actually go into a bit more detail about the declaration itself and the actual content. Yeah, that sounds great. So the most important part of this resolution was, of course, its recognition of the fact that sustainable development and the protection of the environment um, to promote and foster well-being and the enjoyment of human rights. The document is also very specific about which human rights are most affected by climate change. Yes, out of the 30 human rights and freedoms set out in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the document specifies, quote, the rights to life, to the enjoyment of the highest attainable standard of physical and mental health, to an adequate standard of living, to adequate food, to housing, to safe drinking water and sanitation and to the participation in cultural life, end quote. Exactly. And the authors, so the core group that we mentioned earlier, also made sure to stress that the declaration aims to protect the human rights of both present and future generations. This is really important when talking about intergenerational justice. The council resolution includes an invitation to the UN General Assembly to also consider this matter and take bold action, therefore ensuring a springboard to push for transformative economic, social, and environmental policies that will protect people and nature. Quote, it's easy to take our planet for granted until we see the human cost of its degradation, end quote. Therefore, it's important to recognize it at the UN level because it makes it clear that states have an obligation to protect and fulfill this right, encourages states to strengthen their legislation and make it easier for the UN to support states in improving their performance on environmental issues. Indeed, and the right to a healthy environment is legally recognized in more than 80% of the UN member states. The decision, however, will send a powerful message to communities around the world who are struggling with climate hardship at this time and hold governments accountable for implementing environmental obligations. Quote, our next stop must be the recognition of this new universal right by the General Assembly, end quote. A large part of that comes from campaigners and environmental defenders. Further quote, we need the amazing global coalition built over the last two years to keep pushing so that this historic moment at the UN translates into real improvements in people's lives and the environment. If adopted, environmental defenders say it will pressure countries to join the more than 100 nations that already recognize a legal right to healthy surroundings. And while the resolution would not be binding, lawyers say it will shape norms and help campaigners develop arguments in climate cases, end quote. For sure, and that's the case here at GCE. Remember when we joined with our member organizations in a joint letter published to the European Heads of State expressing young voices 
on climate justice? Here is a segment. Young people around the world already suffer from the effects of climate crisis. Now is the time to make climate justice a reality. If protecting human rights is what the European Union stands for, it needs to abandon its business as usual path and build a system that will allow the planet and people to thrive. The climate crisis cannot be merely seen through the lens of an ecological collapse. It has to be seen from a holistic perspective as a human rights crisis and acted upon accordingly." End quote. The full letter is available on our website. Um, so don't forget to check it out after the podcast. Those that will suffer from the implications of such a climate breakdown the most are going to be individuals and social groups that are already vulnerable, but in particular, it will disadvantage young people, which raises the issue of intergenerational justice, how the risks that those living today are allowed to impose on future generations and how available natural resources can be used without threatening the sustainable functioning of the planet's ecosystem. Yeah, and that's exactly why it's so crucial to create meaningful structures of youth participation. For example, GCE, that are not merely symbolic within all processes relevant for the just transition to a green future. Young people and youth organizations need to be able to cooperate through co-management structures at a higher level. That's right. And so, Leonie, that being said, are you optimistic that the Declaration for the Right to a Healthy Environment will bring about real change? We have already mentioned that such a resolution can serve as a springboard for transformative policies, um, but how do you think that that could happen? Good question. Um, I think that this resolution is an important milestone that will have an influence on fostering further commitments from UN member states. Another important step would be the recognition of this right by the General Assembly, which is the main policymaking and representative organ of the UN. If the General Assembly passes a resolution recognizing the right to a healthy environment, it'll become much easier to push for change and new legislation at the national level. That's a really good point. Um, I actually have read the statement of the World Health Organization Director of the Department of Public Health and Environment, Dr. Maria Nira, who has said that the next step should be the translation of the resolution on the right to clean air at a country level. It could happen by, for example, recognizing WHO's global air quality guidelines and levels of exposure to certain pollutants at a national level. That's right. The WHO estimates that 24% of global deaths are linked to the environment, including 4.2 million from ambient air pollution. This would be a significant step that could save millions of lives, especially those of the most vulnerable populations at the forefront of climate change. And what's more, there are already a few precedent cases showing how human rights recognized by the General Assembly in a resolution has actually prompted action and has been, become included in some of the UN member states constitutions, which is amazing. Yeah, for instance, the resolution 64 forward slash 292 from 2010, through which the United Nations General Assembly recognized the human right to water and sanitation and acknowledged that clean drinking water and sanitation are essential to the realization of all human rights. The resolution prompted commitments of the international community and many countries have since added the right to water to their constitution. 
for example, in Mexico, after the resolution on the right to safe drinking water and sanitation was added to their constitution, safe drinking water was extended to over a thousand rural communities. Another example um, that we found was that um, is that of Slovenia. They have also included the right to water in their constitution, which led to the extension of safe drinking water to Roma communities living on city outskirts. That shows really amazing progress. It makes me think of the importance of campaigning by civil society, youth and indigenous organizations for the recognition and protection of the human right to a safe, clean, healthy and sustainable environment. Thanks to the tireless work of these organizations, we've gotten so much closer to actually seeing this right implemented and included in policies at a national level, as was the case with the Declaration on Human Right to Water and Sanitation. Let's hope that happens super soon. There is a lot that needs to change. While we're on the topic of a human rights-based approach to addressing climate change, it's important to mention that GCE has actually published a climate justice report in 2020 titled Young Voices on Climate Justice. Um, the GCE Climate Justice Working Group have interviewed young people across Europe and collected plenty of insightful policy suggestions about implementing climate justice at both an international and national levels. That's right. The report suggests, for example, that investment and trade agreements should include provisions for sustainability and climate justice to ensure common standards and protecting people from exploitation. The recommendations of the GCE report are specifically addressed to the EU and its institutions, but I think its findings are very relevant to most of the countries of the global north and their responsibilities towards the global south and youth. For sure. And the example of the common sustainability standards for investment and trade agreements that you have just mentioned is actually really widely discussed in terms of human rights and climate justice. More and more people have been calling for governments to pass legislation that would make corporations more accountable for their actions and profits. For example, the EU, the, the European Commission has recently work, been working on the Sustainable Corporate Governance Initiative. Such legislation would require companies to identify and address human rights and environmental harms along their value chains. The current due diligence systems for the corporations in the EU is completely voluntary, which poses a huge risk to human rights. The result of the lack of human rights-based approach to climate change negotiations and policies means that climate youth activists are still confronted with many barriers and obstacles that shouldn't exist. As such, current economic models are heavily extractive, and it goes without saying that the world needs new approaches which would prioritize human rights and the environment over profit. That's true. Hopefully, the UN Declaration on the Right to a Healthy Environment will be the very milestone towards the implementation of a human rights-based standards. Such a step forward has been really long awaited. We've come a long way since the United Nations Conference on the Human Environment in Stockholm in 1972, where the issues of the environment and human well-being were recognized as interconnected for the first time by the UN. That's right. And that was actually when the Stockholm Declaration and Action Plan for the Human Environment was adopted. Um, another important step that led to, a re to the recent declaration for the right to a healthy environment 
was the appointment of the first independent expert on human rights and the environment by the Human Rights Council in 2012. And in 2020, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, called for the promotion of the right to a safe, clean, healthy and sustainable environment as he launched a call to action for human rights. The call defined seven dimensions through which the human rights agenda could be advanced. Several reports, calls and joint statements were also published in the past few years that called for the recognition of the right to a healthy environment. But I think the one that is most important to mention, especially for us as an organization supporting youth engagement in decision-making processes, is the call for the global recognition of the right to a healthy environment. It's essentially a letter signed by more than 1,100 civil society, child, youth, and indigenous peoples organizations that have united to call upon member states to recognize the right to a healthy environment as soon as possible. The first version of this letter was sent on September 10, 2020. And this is also a great example of one of the ways in which youth can contribute to influencing international climate policies and make our voice heard. It goes without saying that these efforts do pay off, so don't be discouraged. That was a really nice note to end on. That's it for now. Um, I just want to say thank you for joining us on this episode, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And also don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter and follow this podcast for future episodes. Mm -hmm.